Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black entrepreneur experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Frances Richards. Our next guest is a film producer and owner of Render Squad's industry, and he is telling untold stories. Welcome, Melvin Graham. Thank you for having me, uh, Dr. Uh, Francis. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I definitely look forward to going into details about uh, my company, Renner Squad Industries, and uh, my upcoming documentary series, Black Business LA. Well, why don't you take the floor? I've given our audience such a brief bio. Why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you want them to know about you and your business? Okay. Uh, well, what I want them to know about me is I'm a film producer. And when I say film producer, I work in all areas of film from uh, uh, concepts to post-production. And, um, well, the thing I do the most with my company, Renner Squad Industries, is uh, post-production for video and film and also audio engineering. And um, with these skill sets or should I say skills in general, when it comes to the film industry, we're looking to um, tell compelling stories and also bring pixels to life by um, showcasing some of the best stories through film and video. So th these are, that's just the area that I work in and uh, what I built my company uh, based on. And we want to thank any of our listeners for joining. If anyone has a question for Melvin or myself, feel free to let us know. So let's just talk about what does it take to be a film producer? Well, what does it take to be a film producer? It's, uh, number one is um, being able to tell stories in a, in a compelling type of way. And how do you go about doing it is um, being able to identify um, story concepts and being able to break it down in a way that's digestible uh, for your audience, especially when it's uh, genres uh, specific, whether it's drama, whether it's action, um, or whether it's uh, storytelling in the form of documentaries. You know, to be a film producer is uh, being able to take uh, a concept and bring it to life um, in, uh, through, through different uh, ways, whether it's uh, script writing, whether it's uh, your camera guy and you have a clever way of, shall I say, putting scenes together based on aim camera angles and things of that nature. Or rather you're on the back end when it comes to post-production, maybe you, know, you tell your story through uh, color, through uh, certain types of cuts where you're, um, should I say, captivating your audience by, um, should I say, by clever imagery and sound and all these elements coming together uh, to create something that's uh, an unforgettable experience. You know, these are the responsibilities of a film producer. How did you become a film producer? Well, for me, um, Throughout my whole life, this is just something I wanted to do. Um, growing up and seeing some of the greats like Melvin Van Peoples, um, Spike Lee, uh, I would even say Martin Scorsese, I would even say um, 
uh, Steven Spielberg's another one I do love uh, action adventure. So that's what really inspired me as a child was being able to uh, see some of the greatest movies ever made, whether it was Star Wars, whether, whether it was Lady Sings the Blues, you know, all these great films that, that I had a chance to see growing up inspired me to want to make some of my own. Um, coming right out of high school, um, I had a chance to go into broadcasting school. So, you know, work in the political scene and, um, should I say, being exposed to different uh, story beats when it comes to journalism gave me the tools to be able to uh, to write stories and narratives. And that's what really uh, opened up the door to just go right into media arts, learn how to edit, learn how to, um, should I say, audio produce. And I put all those elements together. And I got to the point to I knew I wanted to start my own company. How did you get the capital to start your company? I started off actually with the SBA. That's with uh, getting that initial uh, grant um, slash loan. And I started my company doing uh, during the uh, pandemic. So for me, I, I went from just you know, taking our contracts and fulfilling roles that way to eventually uh, starting my own company with Renner Squad Industries, which I went right into the SBA and um, they gave me a startup uh, loan and I, and I got some capital that way. But also just through contracting in general was another way I was able to raise capital. There are so many brands and businesses, Melvin, that are dominating. Talk about a brand or a business that dominates that you admire and why. Okay. Uh, but I, let's start with some of the, the major production houses. Let's start with Disney, where they have, should I say, a conglomerate of different production houses all summed up into one. Where, for instance, they took, uh, they, they bought out uh, Lucas Films, and then through that, they're able to get a lot of different IPs from Indiana Jones all the way uh, to uh, Star Wars. Also, with um, a lot of the properties they have with Marvel, where Marvel was under Fox and under Sony, and you know Sony was—I mean, I'm sorry—Disney was able to bring all of these different production companies in-house and make it their own and tell stories from the narratives and angles that they want to tell it from. So I, I admire uh, things like that because one of the things I want to do as a black man in America is I want to have uh, that type of um, autonomy where I could bring in different film creators, give them that opportunity to tell stories the way they want to. And Renner Squad Industries can be the base in which we can provide the tools and the um, necessary production elements to get their stories told and to, uh, shall I say, uh, give life to their vision. What makes a good story? A good story, and I and I pretty much, shall I say, I pretty much put um, a good story and a great song sort of in the same box because it's all about the experience. And, and that experience being memorable. I mean, for instance, we all know that one movie that we saw in our lives that, you know, that, should I say, continuously 
run through our minds when we when we talk about what's the greatest film ever or what's the best experience you ever had watching a movie. So it's all about the experience and it and 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 the memorability of it. That's to me comprises of a great story. And so Melvin, what is your all-time great story? I have uh quite a few that I that I would say uh that I like. Uh one one of the best stories. I like uh, uh, different narratives when it comes to action. I can name two off off top that I know that I remember that I can say that I, that was that stuck with me throughout you know my life, and I would say I can always go back to and pretty much have that same experience all over again, even though I've seen it. And one of those stories I would say was the first Beverly Hills Cop. It was a comedy and an action. It comprises of a lot of story beats. That were memorable, whether it was something that's funny that funny that happened, whether it was a clever action scene and how uh, it was choreographed, all of that to me and um, are elements that you can see throughout that film that gives that same memorable experience every time you come back. Memorable experience, pardon me. Yes, ma'am. What, if anything, keeps you up at night? Well, um, being a film producer, you know, there's always something to do. Whether it's reading a, reading a script, whether it's uh, putting together a different concept uh, in terms of, uh, of what you're going to do next. And it's also, you know, me working in post-production, um, things change all the time. Whether it's updates in software or rather it's me learning a new piece of software that can make the, um, the production process uh, quicker or more seamless. You know, this is, is, so it's a combination of learning and also um, making the next move. So those two things keep me up at night the most. Talk about your latest project. What, what's going on, Melvin? Okay, um, my latest project is Black Business LA. It's a documentary series that um, showcases black businesses here in Los Angeles. We go into their story. We also talk about the obstacles they had in starting their business um, businesses. And uh, we also talk about uh, black economic challenges that uh, people are facing here in Los Angeles. We have actually a black economic crisis, I would call it. Uh, when it comes to economics, Black people here in Los Angeles are at the bottom in every economic category, which makes it very difficult for uh, business sustainability and, um, should I say, living, housing and living in general. So we take on all these narratives. We've put it into a series. Uh, and every episode is industry specific. And it's going to be good. It's going to be an, an amazing experience uh, for those who inquire into, um, and how the landscape is for Black people in Los Angeles. So it's going to be great. We don't want you to steal the thunder, but if you can share one story, and I know there's many that really stands out for the Black businesses in LA, tell us one of the compelling stories. Okay. Let's talk about Bruce's Beach. Uh, 
Well, I, we had a chance to interview uh, supervi- uh, County Supervisor Janice Hahn. Her father, by the way, has a park named after him, uh, Kenneth Hahn. And, um, well, Janice Hahn, she was very instrumental in helping the Bruce's family, which Bruce's Beach is a property that uh, sits right in Manhattan Beach. It's one of the most popular beaches in Los Angeles. Now, Bruce's Beach was a resort, a beach property in which um, black people in America would go all across the world, all across the country would go to and, uh, and have a great time. And, and, and that's what you would see. It was a black owned beach co- uh, property and it was a thriving one at that. And because of um, uh, public domain and gentrification over the years, the property has changed hands in terms of ownership. And what was initially, um, um, the Bruce family's property turned into state property. And then once the family had took it upon themselves uh, to retain their land back, of course, they had a lot of obstacles and hangups and things of that nature. However, uh, through a series of, of um, should I say, uh, legal cases and, go- and going to court and, and, uh, and fighting a fight for their family, um, uh, uh, County Supervisor Janice Hahn, um, the governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, you know, through all this litigation, they were able to retain their, their property back for their family legacy. Melvin, I want you to have a monologue. I want you to name this person, living or not. Okay. And this person has inspired you so much. Who is this person and what are you saying to this person? Well, I'll say one of my greatest influences was um, uh, Melvin Van Peoples, who died not too long ago. Uh, and I definitely say rest in peace to him. Um, he opened the door for, uh, for black cinema. Um, a lot of things happened in the, in, uh, in the 60s leading up to the black expect, uh, black. Um, exploitation era in the 70s. Um, Hollywood was at a down uh, as it was at a down sparrow at the time. Not not a lot of good ideas were out there. So it was actually uh, black exploitation films and and martial art films that kept Hollywood afloat. But it was it was Melvin Van Peoples' uh, film uh, Sweetback, in which he had his own share of op- obstacles in terms of. Uh, arming that production and, and getting it uh, through uh, f- uh, full fruition or full cycle of production. Um, he had a chance uh, to get funding from Bill Cosby, who allowed, um, I'm sorry, who funded uh, the production through, through the very end, the post-production aspect of it. And, and it was a great film. It became a, should I say, a black cult classic film. And it really laid the landscape for others, for Shaft, for even Jaws in a sense, because Jaws, they say, is the film that saved Hollywood. But if it wasn't for the black, black exploitation era, you know, the money and, ter- and consumer confidence in putting films in movie theaters wouldn't have been there. So it was so Melvin Van Peebles was a pioneer um, who really inspired me and gave me the strength. Uh, to keep going when times are tough. Melvin, fill in the blank. 
Thank you, Pandemic Because. Thank you, Pandemic um, Because. It really, uh, shall I say, created a lot of niche markets in which small businesses can thrive and thrive. Because, you know, if it was, you know, where there's the food industry where people were looking for, you know, uh, uh, meals that can be created instantaneously, smaller, a lot of smaller businesses were able to fulfill those needs. Or rather, me being a content creator, where you know the movie theaters were, were closed, you know the pandemic really shut all that down while everyone was home. So the streaming platforms were available, and you know it really put us in a position where we have uh, direct to consumer. So I believe we were able to create industry, a good variety of industry as well, especially when it comes to black businesses. So thank you, Pandemic, for that, for help aiding, um, should I say, and aiding us in a way uh, to where we can have direct-to-consumer direct, uh, uh, opportunities. And Melvin, what can we do right now to support your business? Well, what, uh, what you can do right now, we have a uh, Indiegogo campaign for our latest um, documentary series black business la if you can go on to indiegogo and um and donate to one of our tiers in which you know there's benefits for every tier that we have well we can definitely use that support and helping our production and what this also does it helps us be able to take a more um national approach in terms of other content that we are looking to produce immediately after uh, Black Business LA. So if you can log on to um, Indiegogo, uh, hit that search bar and uh, type in Black Business LA and choose one of our tiers, it will definitely help us out and we will greatly appreciate it. Advice you wish you had followed? I wish I would have been able um, to jump out in the water and swim at a much, uh, should I say, younger age. And, and I'm saying that in a subliminal type of way. So, or should I say proverbial type of way. And what I mean by that is I really wish I would have, um, about 10, 15 years ago, I would have uh, started Renner Squad Industries back then and had the confidence, um, to take any project through the full uh, production cycle and create uh, captivating content. So that's what I would say. I wish I would have started a lot sooner. What book would you recommend and why? What I recommend is Powernomics by Dr. Claude Anderson, because what it does, it it, um, it gives us the type of financial literacy uh, that's needed. We live in a society where, you know, we're dealing with capitalism and capitalism breeds competition. And the only way we're going to be able um, to stay within the confines of competition and thrive is to have financial literacy and the confidence uh, to build businesses that help uh, sustain our communities. Talk about the wealth gap and Black entrepreneurship. Well, I mean, we saw, we saw this take place uh, during the pandemic um, with the 
can I say the pandemic uh, loans that were uh, given out where it was, it was uh, shown in the graph that black people were turned down for the loans, for economic loans to help uh, sustain businesses. So we already see how the economics play out. Uh, when it comes to capital in general, grants and in, in, in all types, uh, a lot of times, you know, a lot of vague terminology is there. So when it comes to access to capital, we're really being lumped into a, a very um, large pool. I mean, we see in other communities where grants and loans are specific to them. We don't have a lot of things that are specific to us. You know, when it comes to our community, Black community, you know, we have barriers. And a lot of these barriers are created and, and having things, uh, yeah, things that we need access to uh, being, should I say, uh, created in an all-inclusive way, which leaves us, you know, like, that leaves us off the table. And that's, these are some of the um, disparities that we face. So without, should I say, having access to capital and access to things that can help us make our businesses and even entrepreneurship um, sustainable, you know, we just don't have any real specifics. We're pretty much lumped in a box when it comes to uh, the things that we need to be able to uh, sustain ourselves economically in society. Melvin, what is your zone of genius? I would like to say my zone of uh, genius would be um, and community development, where I'm able to create forms in which we can, um, shall I say, conjure up solutions to our problems. If we're talking economics, we're talking about ways that we can build a variety of businesses that are sustainable in our community to where the black dollar doesn't, um, shall I say, <laughs> disappear in less than 24 hours, but ways in which you can keep the black dollar to stay in our communities for days. So we look at building uh, different uh, business structures. We we talk about the political process on a municipal level and things that will have an immediate effect on us when it comes to um, you know certain props and laws that that uh, we're able to vote for. But we're teaching people to vote uh, intelligently. So I would say when it comes to community organizing and community building, I would say that would be uh, my way of. Uh, having some form of genius there. Melvin, let's take um, a snapshot of the last 30 days. What was your biggest win? Okay. My biggest win over the last 30 days was able, was being able to put on my product, which is Black Business LA, and make it available for the entire uh, country to see. And also being able to gain traction by um, by seeing the numbers grow in terms of viewership of the trailer and having um, a, a good multitude of people, um, should I say, inquire about uh, our documentary series. So I would call that a, a major win. And how do you celebrate your wins? Well, I mean, I, my approach to celebration is different. Um, I don't, you know, we have goals and benchmarks that we're looking to reach 
So a lot of celebration doesn't happen while we're achieving, uh, you know, our goals and celebration. We save it for the end. And, um, you know, the way our way of celebrating or my way of celebrating is one, once we have the ultimate um, accomplishment, then there's time for relaxation. Then it's time to reflect. So it's, it's a, um, a concentrated um, work cycle, but a major break in the end, and that's when we celebrate. Talk to a younger you. What advice would you give to a younger you? Okay. Well, well, what I would say to my younger self, I would say, you know, challenges are going to be there. So for every bit of failure, there's a lesson learned. And, you know, because um, opportunities come for those who concentrate and stay focused and stay on the path, you know, some uh, some things that you would consider losses are actually wins. Another thing that another thing I would say is don't you know don't be afraid to venture outside of your comfort zone uh, to be able to uh, achieve the goals that you set in front of you. You know, a lot of times I remember being young, where it was just so easy to give up because I didn't know. It was so easy to give up um, because you know I didn't consult with people to come up with solutions to challenges that I thought were impossible to get through. So, you know, to be, you know, my, so to be persistent, um, to get out of your comfort zone and learn other ways and methods that are, that are, uh, used uh, by successful people. You know, these, these are the things that I would say to myself for my younger self. What is something that we don't know about the film industry as consumers that we should know? Well, when it comes to uh, autonomy and when it comes to the concept and creation of films, you know, there's not a lot of black faces, you know, in these places of, uh, of deciding, you know, what is, um, what gets the green light or what, or what doesn't. You know, and this goes back to ownership and and uh, being able to own and control your product. One of the things we don't one of the things we don't have is um, controlling the narrative from a media standpoint. You know, we we have a lot of production houses that, on a perpetual cycle, dominate uh, what we consider news and media. You know, when it comes to the black experience in America. We don't have that type of autonomy to control the narrative when it comes to how we're shown and how, um, you know, and what we would consider worthy news. It's just that, you know, we don't have um, the type of control that we should have. While other networks and things of that nature make decisions in terms of what's relevant and what isn't. So we don't have control over uh, black culture the way we should. And that has a lot to do with um, autonomy and media and uh, entertainment. What is the big, the biggest challenge to be an entrepreneur? The biggest challenge, I believe, is always capital, and capital, and um, and and to be able to gain access to capital comes with uh, a degree of confidence and trust. And I really feel um, in black society, it's, it's 
from a, on a consumer level is we don't have the same level of trust that we lend others outside of our own community. So that makes, that creates extra barriers that others don't have to face. So I would say the biggest barrier is capital. And, um, and, and should I say, and along with that capital, it's, it's even a bigger challenge uh, to gain consumer confidence as well. Tell us your why. Why are you doing what you are doing? Well, I'm doing what I'm doing um, because I feel uh, from a media standpoint, especially a multimedia uh, standpoint, we have to begin to own and control uh, the narratives and stories of that, that comes from our own culture. So I really see myself as someone who's more like a modern day Renaissance guy. So that's my why. I want to be that modern day Renaissance guy that can do um, just about everything necessary to produce uh, great content on the media front, film front, and even music front to a degree. I want to be that that vessel that uh, creators can go to and, um, and should I say, and create the things they want to create. Uh, through the company that I'm building. So that's my why. It's my, it's my company, my vision, and my uh, outlook in terms of uh, saving Black culture. It's called Becoming Melvin Graham. How did you become Melvin Graham? Well, Mom, being Melvin Graham, it comes with a legacy. Uh, my name is uh, Melvin A. Graham III, so I'm a third-generation Melvin. Uh, my last name, Graham, and I just looked this up not too long ago, recently. Um, the name Graham goes all the way, well, at least in my family, my bloodline goes all the way back to the 1700s in Washington, D.C., where um, I'm a descendant of, uh, of, of Black slaves here in America. And through that legacy and that bloodline, um, it's a tale of great survival and strength. And all of these elements that, um, that came from that has, has given, has, shall I say, created me. So now that I'm a confident, strong, and, um, and resilient man in a society where there's a great multitude of challenges, I know a lot of us face that. So that's what it is becoming Melvin Graham is um, overcoming obstacles, preparation, and confidence. Melvin, what is the best decision you have made as a leader? Well, best decision uh, that I made as a leader is leading by example. Everyone who works with me on, uh, on the production end, I'm able to lead by example by providing knowledge and insight on the positions that I bring people in uh, to do. So uh, part of uh, great leadership is, be able, is being able to give good counsel. And that, um, and that ability to give good counsel and leading by example uh, comes from knowledge and experience and preparation.
speaking of legacy, we want to talk about legacy. You as a storyteller, when it's all said and done, Melvin, how do you want to be remembered? Well, I want to be remembered uh, as as somebody who provided opportunities uh, for others to thrive. You know, I want to be remembered as someone who was able to get goals accomplished despite obstacles. I also want to be known as a as a great family man. I also want to be known as a um, as a great producer who can create, uh, shall I say, films or, or or any other form of media that can have a direct effect on your life in a positive way. That's what I would like to be remembered as. What feeds your soul? Uh, what feeds my soul the most uh, is being able to help people and um, being able to go out into my community and make a difference and, and um, in every way possible, whether it's um, doing what I'm doing with Black Business LA, which, which is highlighting uh, Black businesses and giving people um, knowledge that, you know, there is variety in Black society and Black business society. So, you know, I feel like I'm giving back in a great way by uh, instilling confidence in ourselves to do uh, great things or accomplish great feats in an economic way. What is calling for your attention today? Well, um, I know I've talked about economics enough here, but I really, I really feel that that's my calling is uh, to provide a platform in which real solutions can be developed uh, to help aid in our um, economic crisis in which we live in here in America. And you know, Melvin, you and I chatted um, offline before the interview, and you and I have very Kendra spirits and very similar missions. And we both are really passionate about mitigating the wealth gap in Black communities. And when you and I chatted, that was the one thing that we were both um, you know, we, we both came together on, we were just succinct on, um, you know, building intergenerational wealth and mitigating the wealth gap. Right. Talk about what you're doing to mitigate the wealth gap and build intergenerational wealth. Well, it starts with reparations. And one of the things we, one of the, um, one of the main narratives uh, that we that is a recurring narrative actually uh, throughout the documentary series Black Business LA. It's reparations. We uh, we talk to black businesses and we ask the hard question. We say, do you believe reparations uh, would have a great effect on black economics? While some would say yes, we had some that said no. Um, but one of the things I would say that I do is. Uh, I'm an advocate for reparations because I really do believe that the challenges that we face in terms of having a racial wealth gap comes to ac- comes from not having access to capital. Well, one way we can we can uh, quell that issue is uh, reparations. We built America. Um, we were not, shall I say, we never received any benefit from that. And what 
some would consider benefits are, are should I say, um, are not tangible, you know, and, you know, these are the things that we need to sustain uh, communities. We need tangibility. You know, a lot of the great things of having, you know, the black first this, black first that, you know, those things are great feats. However, when it comes to sustainability for uh, the masses of black people, that comes to, that only way that can happen is through tangibility, economic tangibility. And this is something that uh, this country has not been able to rectify for us. Um, but one of the things I am involved in is um, on the reparations front is that we have a task force here in California. And for the first time in American history, this is the closest we've ever gotten, at least to, well, at least when it comes to uh, getting um, descendants of slaves reparations. One of the greatest victories the task force has had recently was a vote was made on should reparations be, um, uh, should I say, lineal, or you know, or is it all inclusive to all black people who just happen to live here in America? No, it was voted that it should be lineage based. And that was a great victory. And here we are. The ball is still, uh, I'm sorry, we're still pressing forward. The ball is still rolling. And um, it looks like we have a great chance of getting reparations in our time. Because it seems to me that a lot of things that happen in California actually influences the entire country. So we can get reparations here in California. I really do believe reparations for black people everywhere will be the next step. Do you honestly believe that we're going to get res um, reparations? Yes, I do. Um, and, and why do I believe that? Because for the first time in American history, we're actually making this a political agenda, as it should be, as it should have been years before. And um, because of that, and the discussion being a hot topic in Black society, where every politician um, that, should I say, that comes to our community and make their promises and make their bids for our votes. One of the things that are constantly mentioned, I mentioned the most is reparations. So it's really, it's really, should I say, an agenda thing that's, that's, should I say, that's, um, that's larger than it's ever been before. You know, a lot of these reparation talks used to be just an in-house thing. Now it's taking a national stage. So, you know, just like with everything else, you know, time, you know, becomes a, a thing where things take time to develop. And this is one of those issues and um, in which, you know, we've, we've waited too long and we've come too far. And, uh, you know, that we, we're for one, we're getting ready to uh, hit, shall I say, um, zero wealth. They say the black society would be at zero wealth. Um, I think it's about fifth. I think it was uh, two, 2043, I believe. I could be wrong. I'll look that up again. But they're saying that we're going to be at zero wealth soon. So the more pressing the issue becomes, um, the greater chance we have as well. I've heard it has been said that self-care is physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. 
Which one is calling your name today? I'm sorry, can you repeat that one more time? I've heard that self-care is physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. You can only pick one. Which one is calling your name today? I would say physical, actually, when it comes to uh, the health care. And why? Uh, well, we see every day when it comes to uh, diabetes, depression, all of it, it, you know, it all coincide into things that are uh, physical, that, that greatly affect us uh, in a physical way. And there's so much things that needs to be done on that front, um, especially mental health, like mental health in general. I mean, I know, you know, because to me, we're talking about your psyche. We're talking about uh, things that happen on the emotional level that take shape in a physical way. So, you know, whether it's mental health or whether it's um, fitness and things of that nature, you know, these are things that are great physical problems today. And you had mentioned um, a statistic or a year, Melvin, about the zero wealth um, report. And I just wanted to give it to our audience. According to the Road to Zero Wealth report, they suspect the medium wealth of Black Americans will fall to zero by 2053 if the current trends continue. And because both Melvin and I are working to eradicate that, we just believe it's a statistic that we don't want to see happen. Exactly. And thank you for that clarity. I did say 2043. I knew I knew it was a three on that end, but 2053, exactly. Um, exactly what I'm referring to. And, you know, it, it is something that we have to understand. I know that talks about reparations is nothing new. I know talks on black empowerment is nothing new because this is something that's that's been, should I say, discussed for generations now. Uh, even before uh, Dr. King and uh, Malcolm X, uh, Marcus Garvey and, and uh, W.E.B. Du Bois or W.E.B. Du Bois, I mean, we're talking about a large history of discussions that we can refer to in which we're talking about the same thing. Um, one of the things that stick out like a sore thumb to me was um, uh, back in 87, 1987, I remember I was a child and I heard the song Self-Destruction. It was a, um, a song done by various hip-hop artists in which they talked about a lot of, uh, should I say, trends that were happening, whether it was Black-on-Black -black crime, whether it was poverty, um, whether it was mass incarceration, you know, these are things that I heard about as a child. And um, to know that, you know, these, um, should I say, uh, things uh, have plagued our society for so long, and here we are uh, at a breaking point, it really is something that um, we have to take serious and we have to get involved in some type of way. Melvin, talk about love, relationships, and building a business. Okay. Um, we'll start with love. Uh, love is, is very important. Um, well, for one, when we talk about mental health in America, a lot of us deal with forms of isolation. 
a lot of us deal with forms of being antisocial. What love can do uh, to help aid, not with just those two, but in terms of relationships, um, love gives people a sense of worth. Love gives, uh, love is a sense of care. Love starts with self. Uh, love is an overall arcing, shall I say, um, shall I say, emotional experience that can shape and save lives. That's how, that's how I feel. That's why I believe love is so important because of, because of that. You know, it shapes people's lives and it can also save lives as well. Um, and there was two other things you mentioned besides love, relationships, and there was one more. Love, relationships, and building a business. Okay. Okay, and uh, relationships are important. Um, for one, you know, we're, we're definitely not meant to be alone in, in our great endeavors, whether it's career, uh, whether it's our passions, whatever the case may be. It always usually involves uh, people. So relationships are important in our day-to-day lives, and, and it's something that uh, must be sought after and also protected. Relationships are extremely important. Um, business. I mean, let's start with black, with the black community. You know, one of the ways we're going to be able to sustain ourselves economically is being able to have thriving businesses that we depend on. When everything uh, depend on everything we depend on happens outside of our community, then there's no way possible we're going to be able to sustain communities that way. You know, when we had um, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, everything that the, the, the community there depended on was right there in front of them. They had business establishments in every single industry, from healthcare all the way uh, to grocery stores. You know, business in general and the varieties that come with it is, is our economic survival. Melvin, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. Okay. Uh, one I would say is, um, what does the future look like um, for me over the next three to five years? And how I would answer that question, I would say. For me, I'm looking to I'm looking to have or I foresee uh, um, not only Black Business LA being a successful uh, documentary series that everyone will have um, access to, but also see it as a as a documentary series that will take a national approach, where it just won't be Black Business LA. We're looking at Black Business Chicago, we're looking at Black Business Miami, or Black Business Houston, or Black Business. Um, um, Louisiana, I can't leave that out. Um, I'm looking to see Black Business LA grow into a national black, um, black a national platform where Black businesses um, can be showcased, showcased, yeah, showcased, and also uh, we can take on a lot of the economic issues and talk about real meaningful solutions. That's what I see happening in the next uh, three to five years for me. So we've come to the part of our interview. It's called Rapid Round of Fun. 
And I'm going to give you a series of questions and I'd like you to give me very quick answers. Are you ready for the rapid round of fun? Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. And if it's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. Okay. The last movie you saw. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. You relax doing what? Taking walks on the beach with my wife. Your favorite singer or rapper? Uh, favorite rapper, I would say Kanye West, at least right now in this modern era. Your favorite dance song? Um, let's go with MC Hammer, Can't Text Us. <laughs> what food you eat every week, no matter what? Um, well, I like super, I like super foods. And so one food that I will, that I will in, uh, ingest daily or eat daily, I would say is sea moss. Your favorite month. Favorite month of the year is May because my birthday is May 16th. <laughs> well, we want to say an early happy birthday. Thank you very much. Your ideal car. Let's see. I would say, um, wow, that's a tough one. Uh, let's go. I, you know, I, I like I like Jeeps, actually, believe it or not. So um, I'll say a, uh, a 2000, uh, and I'm going to go with a, a much older model, too. I'll say a 2017 Jeep Wrangler. Melvin Graham, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you? Feel free to leave all your social media handles. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's been an amazing experience, uh, uh, should I say, having this interview and uh, answering great questions. I'm uh, answering the great questions you asked me. I'm grateful for that. And where people can reach me, uh, for one, let's start with Black Business LA series on uh, Instagram. So that's Instagram at Black Business LA series. Uh, you can also reach me uh, personally if if, uh, if it's something else that's uh, business related. Uh, you can reach me on Instagram uh, at Mel the Thinker. And that's Instagram at Mel the Thinker. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and the, with the same handle. Um, that's Twitter at uh, Mel the Thinker. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. That's Twitter at Marvelous Melvin. That's where you can find me there. On on Facebook, Marvelous Melvin as well. And uh, anything else that's um, production related, you can uh, reach me at RenderSquadIndustries at gmail.com. And did you tell them again about your Indiegogo campaign? And I can't leave that out, right? Um, and also, you can support Black Business LA, which is uh, Render Squad's first documentary series. And you can support us on Indiegogo at Black Business LA. So you can go to Indiegogo.com, use that search engine, type in Black Business LA, and I guarantee it'll pop up. And please donate to one of our tiers. It will greatly help our production. 
Thank you, Melvin. That's a wrap. And I will go and support you right now before we conclude. So that's a wrap. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. Greatly appreciate it.